Hey everybody, welcome back to Cooking in Real Time. This is Zora O'Neill. I'm cooking in real time. Feeling, to be honest, a little bit low energy today. But that hasn't stopped me from taking on a kind of ambitious cooking project. And I'm trying to remember why I thought it would be fun it's schnitzel. Everybody loves schnitzel. Woo. Woo! In fact, the crowds love schnitzel so much they've hastened the schnitzel process a little bit too much here. So, schnitzel. The reason schnitzel, a.k.a. cutlets or milanesa or, I don't know, any kind of like thin, thin, thin meat breaded and fried. Super delicious. It happens to be the the thing I learned to cook or taught myself to cook first, there are like goofy pictures of me, you know, posing with my little platter of schnitzel. And I don't know, and it's just, it's gratifying. You get to fry things, it's crispy. What's not to like? We happen to have some nice pork, so I'm going to make pork schnitzel, but you can use pretty much any kind of meat, turkey, turkey cutlets are good too. It's kind of good because, you know, it's got texture and I'm dealing with meat juices, so maybe it's hard to multitask. All right, let's focus here. I'm cutting open my pork. The reason I'm doing the pork first is because it was defrosting and I wanted to slice it before it was totally defrosted because it would be easier to manage. Slightly frozen meat is slices more easily and not so slippery. So in an ordinary world, I would be getting the other stuff going, but I'm gonna deal with the pork first. And while I'm dealing with the pork, I'll tell you the other things I'm gonna cook. So I've got a big ham steak, which is really, actually it's not ham because it hasn't been cured or anything. It is just like a big cross-section steak of a pig leg. Uh, you could use almost any kind of pork cut for this or chicken breast or whatever. But I happen to have this and it's about an inch thick or three quarters of an inch thick, and I'm gonna cut it in half, um, cut it horizontally, you know, sort of make it two pieces that are less than half an inch thick, because you want really nice, thin, thin, thin slices of meat. Oh, and damn it, this is thawed too much. I probably shoulda just put it back in the freezer. Anyway. Whatever, whatever. Standards are slipping around here at Cooking in Real Time headquarters. There's been a lot of whatever, as I'm sure you can all relate. Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I guess some people would say butterflying this, uh, this piece of meat, slicing it very carefully, trying to make it two pieces of even, Thickness. It's, a little, it's not great. 
I'm, whoops, whoa, very much, not great. This might be some irregularly shaped little cutlets. Oh, you know what? Yeah. They're, I thought I would end up with two pieces. No, I'm going to end up with four pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing that. That's much better. More surface area for crispiness. That's my rationale. And actually, it's a lot easier to deal with slightly smaller pieces in the frying pan and all that stuff. So, and I'm not even slicing up the whole ham steak, actually. Well, or should I? Should I? Maybe if I go through this whole production, I should make, make schnitzel out of the whole thing. Then we'll have some for sandwiches. That would be nice. Okay, I will go ahead and deal with all this. And I'll tell you, as promised, what else I was going to cook. I'm going to make a German-style cucumber salad. And then I'm also going to do something with potatoes. Because we have some potatoes that I know are starting to sprout little eyes. They've been, I've had them since before the quarantine started. So... I haven't really had the heart to look at them recently. I know their their little skins are turning green and things. It hurts my heart. You want your meat to be thin, and we're going to pound it even thinner. The in an ideal world, you're getting your meat quite thin, so there's a good ratio of crispy bits to meat. Like you want a lot of crispy bits. And, of course, you want it all to cook fairly quickly so that the meat cooks through before the crispy outside can get to burn. So we are going to pound those slices of meat a little bit. That'll be noisy. You know what? That's fine. This is not even the whole ham steak, but I'm going to set aside the rest of the ham steak for something else. I don't know what yet but I'm just going to stick that in the fridge and look for inspiration later. Washing my hands. Okay, this ham steak weighs 1.8 pounds. It's got a little bit of a bone in it, just in the center. So I probably cut up about a pound of it. And I'm going to wipe up my cutting board before we go any farther. And um, I'm still thinking about what to do with the potatoes. I think because the schnitzel is crispy, of course, Peter was lobbying for french fries. He's like, hey, you got to heat up the oil anyway to fry the schnitzel. Why not fry some french fries? Um, that kind of violates my sense of balance. In a meal, as I said before, you want contrast, you want some crispy things, you want some soft things, you want some raw things, you want some cooked things. And having french fries and schnitzel just seems redundant. It also seems like a little bit of a hassle, and maybe I'll just make some, I don't know, what do we got here? Just some really simple mashed potatoes. Oh no! Oh little potatoes, you are so sprouting eyes. Oh, they want to live! They just want to live. Oh dear. 
Well, all right. I'm picking out four of them. Whoa, hey, that one is busting out. Maybe I'll just plant these. I don't know. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, I picked out four of them. Once they pick out all the eyes and stuff. Okay, I was taught that potatoes that are turning green under the skin, that that is a kind of toxin. And I learned that so long ago and have never looked it up again since. I assume it's true, but maybe I'm living under a massive delusion. Uh, you know, things we learned 30, 40 years ago just may not be true. But whenever I do see my potatoes getting a little, a little aged and getting that vague green tint, under the skin, I make a point of peeling them. Ordinarily, if I were making mashed potatoes with fresher potatoes, I would not peel them because I like the skins and it saves a step. So I'm getting a pot here. That's jumping the gun a little bit. Anyway, putting a pot on the burner, not turning the burner on. Focus on peeling. Uh, the thing about peeling is I don't really bother unless there are like big hunks of dirt on your potato. I don't bother washing them until after I've peeled. Probably, probably learn that I'm poisoning myself some other way by doing that lazy person's approach. Anyway, I'm just peeling and I'm taking care to get off all the all the greenish, the big greenish tint. Oh yeah. Well, it's a very nice spring green, anyway. Hmm. Kind of boggles my mind we have anything left from the time before quarantine. I don't know how long these potatoes have been hanging out. We're not a big potato family. I don't cook with them a lot and then because they're you should store them hidden away in the dark so they don't sprout. Although that doesn't seem to have stopped these guys. Since you store them hidden away in the dark then I don't see them so I don't think of them. Very often, I, if there's anything in the in my kitchen that like I end up having to throw out, it is very often potatoes. Generally, we're pretty good about food waste and we don't end up chucking a whole lot of stuff. But yeah, occasionally I'll open up the potato bag and be like, whoa, ho, 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 poor neglected things. Nothing smells worse than rotting potatoes. <laughs> I, there was, I don't, should not dwell on this, but when I was in graduate school, man, I, the first year I was in grad school, I lived in a pretty divey house and one of my roommates had left a bag of potatoes. That's four now, or on our last little fifth one peeling. Yeah, left a whole bag of potatoes to rot, and whoa, it was 
horrifying. It smells like rotting fish somehow. It really makes you be like, wow, oh, the Irish potato famine. Like, not just because you're starving to death, that it's terrible, but you're like living in a world that smells like rotting potatoes. Whoa. I feel for my people. Anyway. So, those are the cheerful thoughts, I think, when I'm dealing with potatoes that are a little past their prime. Oh, my producer's here. Checking my levels. Checking your battery level. Oh, battery level. Well, on the low side, but okay. I think I'll make it? Okay. Thanks, thanks. It's that touch of realness. Whoops. Whoa, hey. And that realness, dropping potatoes in the sink as I rinse them. Uh, it's those touches of realness that distinguish cooking in real time from other cooking podcasts where producers might not be as lazy as I am and might actually edit that stuff out, but we're not gonna, because it's all part of the beautiful process. I am now, since these guys are going to be mashed, I'm just cutting them into pretty rough chunks actually slightly smaller pieces than I ordinarily would because I want to make sure I'm getting a good cross section, make sure I am have cut out any gross black spots or whatever. I don't think there was anything particularly weird about these. There were only a couple little spots I had to kind of gouge out when I was peeling. They're okay, these potatoes, in the end. And also, the smaller pieces will cook a little more quickly. So we don't want to be waiting around at the last bit, hoping for faster cooked potatoes. There's, for mashed potatoes, there's no harm in overcooking them, certainly. And whoa, there's definitely harm in undercooking them. Nothing is more, like, dismaying than an undercooked potato. Well... I'm sure there are plenty of more dismaying things, but in terms of like cooking mistakes you can't fix an undercooked potato, like having a crunchy potato salad. Blech. All right, dumping these in my little pot and putting in just enough water to cover them all. Plus a fair amount of salt. Potatoes, really starchy things always can handle lots and lots of salt. I'm actually putting that on a back burner and where, where'd the lid go? Yeah. Putting the lid on. Okay. Feel better the potatoes are going. Back to the schnitzel. So the idea for breading it's a little bit of a pain in the neck. You're gonna be dredging in flour and then dipping in egg and then sort of flipping back and forth in breadcrumbs. So that's three annoying steps. There really is no shortcut because if you use just egg, it would slide off the meat. You need the flour to make the egg stick and you need the egg to make the uh, breadcrumbs stick. So there's nothing to be done. What we need to do with this meat is to smash it a little bit. And I haven't done this in a long time, so 
don't know what tool to use. Huh. I am now looking around our kitchen, hefting things. I want something good and heavy. Uh, you can use the edge of a heavy plate. There are these old-fashioned meat tenderizers. We don't have one. Even if we did, I don't think I'd want to use that because it kind of mashes up the meat too much. It chews it up a little bit. You really just want things thinning out. So right now what I have in my hand is a stainless steel large Turkish coffee pot. Uh, it's got a flat bottom. That's kind of the selling point. Oh, wait. You know what? We have a really heavy... Maybe I'll try this. The... Um, we have a Thai mortar and pestle, so a really heavy black stone pestle. Anyway, the pokey thing, not the bowl. So that's good because it's heavy. I'm trying that. It's not as flat as I would like. Oh yeah, no, that's that's making short work of this. And this actually kind of want to make sure you don't. Beat things to a complete pulp. Well, this is an audio adventure. You can skip ahead if you want to avoid all the banging. Uh, so I'm just kind of mashing all these little guys. All these already thin slices of pork of gently bashing them. Maybe this is a little bit too hardcore. I'm going to switch out and just try this coffee pot thing. Uh, no, that's too light. That's not really doing anything and I have to smash so hard and make so much noise. I'm just going to keep with the gentle heavy stone mortar thing. I mean pestle thing. You know, you know. Um, I think I'm however many years old you think I know which is the mortar and which is the pestle. But I can claim I grew up in New Mexico, so we only learned about manos and matates. And those, I can tell you which is which. Uh, they're those little flat things for grinding corn by hand. And every time we had to go on a field trip, Basically, we ended up, it was like child labor. They're like, hey kids, demonstrate how a mono and matate works. And that would keep us quiet for a little while. Um, Alright. Okay. Should I invest in a dedicated meat pounder? They're these pretty heavy things that are flat on one side. And because they're kind of hammer-like, you get a little bit more leverage with each whack. Actually, just for old time's sake, I'm going to try a little plate edge to remind myself. That's what I used to use as chicken. Hmm. Well... Actually, that's working pretty well. 
So yeah, if you have like a pretty heavy ceramic plate, just sort of bashing, tenderizing, thinning things out. So that when this does cook up, it will cook quickly and kind of some of the meat fibers will be broken down so it's tender and easy to eat. Alright, yeah, I feel like I kind of softened it up with the pestle. And then now we're really getting down to business here with this plate. sort of making these little dents so I go up with the cutlet one direction and then turn the plate 90 degrees and go the other direction flip it over do it quick the same way on the other side not bad all right yeah these are thinning out nicely sort of fixing some unevenness Oh, I hear the um, potatoes boiling. I'm gonna pause and turn those down to a simmer. So I don't know what it is about German food. I have no particular, like, didn't grow up eating it, but there, I'll be curious to see when I make this dinner how it makes me feel because every time I've ever been to a German restaurant, it just like puts me in this amazing mood. It's like they have, there's some perfect balance of fat and beer and whatever that just, just makes me happy. Like I have this incredible feeling of contentment. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, Peter and I were taking a larger train trip and we stopped in Munich to transfer and we were there for like dinner, basically. And we went to some beer hall and had, you know, probably schnitzel, actually, and whatever else. And I was just sitting there like, oh, this is amazing. I just feel at one with the universe. I mean, it really is this kind of food-induced nirvana. Uh, and Peter's like, yeah, it's places like this where Hitler got his start. <sighs> Way to ruin it. And yeah, I probably would have been right there with them all just because I would have eaten my schnitzel and been like, oh, this is wonderful. I love you all. I'll follow you everywhere. So, yeah. All right. We need some flour, which I know is in short supply these days. There's probably um, various things you can, um, you really just need something that will help things stick. Where is our flour? I'm not even seeing it. I know we have some, oh, here. Um, so if you have like cornstarch, you could use cornstarch. Also rice flour. Any of those things would work. And there are probably cases for, I would not be surprised if there's like 
obsessive um, internet things on the internet about optimizing crispiness with various kinds of flour. I have not read those things. I just I just use what I get. Uh, but yeah, you can sub in. You basically just want something fine and dry that will stick to these things. So I've taken a plate and I have scattered some flour over that and like a good layer and I'm gonna grind some pepper in. You could alternatively, you could also apply salt and pepper directly to all your little cutlets, which arguably might be a little bit more consistent here. Uh, so pepper, where did our salt go? Oh, here. So I've got this mix of salt and pepper and flour on this plate. So that's going to be step one. That's one thing. And I'm leaving the flour out because we might need, we might need another batch. Uh, we're going to need breadcrumbs. These are going on another plate. Cheating a little bit here because my breadcrumbs are all done. You can use pre-done, pre-made, like bought at the store breadcrumbs. Homemade breadcrumbs are probably cheaper, like just save your little bread ends and then whiz them up in the blender or a food processor if you have them. Let them get pretty dried out. And then you can just blitz them. Or you can buy panko, which is definitely, I'm getting our little jar of panko out of the, out of the pantry because I suspect we might need a little bit more. I'm adding that to what I have. I had a, and like a pint, what is that, like a cup? No, not a pint. Half pint jar of breadcrumbs just from the bread we have around the house. And then um, and then some panko. So mix some panko in. So you need you need a lot of um, counter space. I haven't been very organized here. Just a little haphazard. Putting the potatoes away, clearing the decks. Um, we're going to want a rack for setting, a couple racks for setting the breaded cutlets on so they can kind of dry out after you bread them. Uh, I'm putting, I've got little like cookie drying racks kind of and sticking them on top of plates so the crumbs don't go everywhere. And, oh, we need egg. Just a little egg. Will one egg do it? I guess we'll try one and see. So in terms of order of operations here, we've got the potatoes going. Those, um, I'm really, I'm not going to do anything fancy with them, just sort of Mash them up with a little butter at the end. Maybe not even mash them. Maybe just straight buttered potatoes. And then the cucumber salad I will make after we get the cutlets 
breaded, but before we cook them, because it's good to let the cutlets sit around and dry and kind of let everything settle before you fry them. All right, we've got one egg here. I'm just feeding that up. And you don't need to go crazy on it. Not go wild. You just need to get it so there aren't like big gobs of white still in it. Okay, good. Now I'm moving everything to make a little like Henry Ford approved assembly line. Our Flour is first, then our egg, then our little breadcrumbs. All right, everything's all lined up. I have no trick for keeping your fingers from getting all gooped up, except to on, my only tip is just to use one hand. So you're basically just taking one of your cutlets and laying it down in the flour doo, 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 and you can kind of pat it uh, to make sure it gets in there and then very gently lift it up and flip it over pat it again gently gently with like one finger because every finger that you get any flour on is going to end up getting breaded so proceed with Caution, you're gonna to have to wash your hands a few times in this process. Then, and I'm just dipping this quickly in the egg. And you wanna make sure the egg gets in all the little crevices so you don't have any dry spots that are just flour. And then you kinda of hold your, I've got a fork and a finger and I've already violated my own rule where I've managed to get both of my fingers wet. So, one hand is covered with egg and the other has flour. Anyway, now I've used a fork to pull it out of the little egg bowl and I've got it here on the on the breadcrumbs. You can hear my breadcrumbs. Tick, 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 tick. Uh, and I'm just sort of tapping it gently to make sure all the wet egg spots are covered with breadcrumbs. Okay. Now I've managed to get my fingers all gummed up and my fork all gummed up. And now I have to rinse and start over. All right, I'm gonna do a tiny little, here's a little tiny scrap for keeping ourselves from getting, getting breaded ourselves. All right, that was a nice little quick one because it's just a little morsel. Toss it back and forth. Lay it on the rack there. Oh yeah, I'm using both hands. What am I doing? Oh well, cannot follow my own advice. We'll just have to wash them more frequently. That's okay. So you can see, I think you can see why this is an appealing recipe for kids. We get to do many complicated steps and you get fried stuff at the end, but none of it is particularly onerous or dangerous, really. The only tricky thing is the slicing the meat thin to begin with. So 
you know, grown-ups can do that if kids don't have the knife skills, and then <laughs> and then the kids can do all the weird breading. Just make sure they don't like lick their fingers with the raw egg. Okay, that was big cutlet number two. I'm back on a little one here, just back and forth in the flour, then dipping in the egg. Part of the reason I didn't cut up the entire piece of ham and do, you know, it would be nice to have some leftover, more leftover cutlets in the fridge, but after a certain point, my God, it's just too tedious to process everything. I'm about halfway through right now, and already I'm like, why? We didn't need this many. We just needed enough for dinner. Why did I give in? Why am I making you listen to all of this? Anyway, once you've done your own breading, and you were probably a responsible person and didn't make too many of these like I did, you're probably done already. I'm running low on on my little breadcrumb mix. So we're gonna freshen that up now that she's stopping to wash the breading off my fingers. Now we're down to we're gonna have some some things, some cutlets that look one way and some that look another. Now I'm down to basically just panko. Uh, panko is the super crispy Japanese breadcrumbs which is great. For some things I like having fresh breadcrumbs, uh, but it is great to always have panko in the, in the um, pantry because it lasts forever and doesn't go bad. As I'm remembering, as I'm doing this, I'm remembering this might be some weird, well, we'll find out. This might be some weird, like honey panko I got by accident. Anyway. It's just good to rotate the pantry stock. So, am I gonna, I'm getting low on this one egg. I am gonna, I'm gonna make this egg do all the work. We are not gonna give in and crack another egg. Mark my words. Things will probably change in like two seconds. I'm gonna take this. Oh, I might have to do another egg. See, see. Right. Yeah, this is definitely the kind of work you want to outsource to small people. In fact, where's Peter, my faithful producer, who is agitating for schnitzel? Whose bright idea was this? <sighs> so yeah, now you see why I like contrasts in meals, simple things and complex things. I am gonna have to crack another egg. But as if I was anticipating this, I didn't put the egg away. There we go. Fine. Fine. 
Okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to put out a little bit more flour also. There. And add a little more salt and pepper to that mix. Not an exact science. I just want things, you know, seasoned. And stir that flour and salt and pepper around so things are evenly distributed. And just a little bit more breadcrumb, only the panko. Things are getting more and more straight panko. Okay, right before I started this, my friend Catherine messaged and she said, I was thinking of making pork schnitzel, but I ended up toasting all my breadcrumbs by accident because I left them in the oven to dry out. Do you think it'll work with toasted breadcrumbs? And I said, funny, you should say that because I did the exact same thing. And um, because the bread I had used was no surprise, just like everybody else, some ends of sourdough, and it was incredibly chewy and bouncy, and it would not dry out. And then it did sort of dry, and I tried blitzing it in the blender, and it was hilarious how the pieces would not get any smaller. They just, I had it on ice crush mode, and it wasn't helping at all. So, because it was like just chewy enough and not brittle, they wouldn't break up. So I did end up sticking everything in, just on a little cookie sheet and sticking them in the oven and then forgetting about them. And then they were kind of toasty. So we'll see, I think they should be fine. I mean, you can use totally, panko is completely, completely dry and it's fine. Will it be op? Optimal? I don't know. Optimizing is like, if cooking is your full-time hobby, then you can spend time optimizing and testing and all that. Uh, but I don't know who does that. I guess if it's a full-time hobby, that's kind of contradictory. Who has that full-time job? Cooking is not my full-time job. All right, this is my last little cutlet. Oh, you're looking good. I'm scooping up all. He's gonna be the breadiest bread crummerist that ever was crumbed. A little cutlet in the whole wide world. Great. And my fingers are also the crummy crummerist in the whole world of crumbs. Okay, that wasn't too bad. That was the highest maintenance part of this whole project. Uh, there's pretty much nothing to be done with this flour. Uh, alas, there's not too much. It's like a couple tablespoons. Um, can't feed it to the sourdough because there's salt in it. Kind of don't want to use it for anything else because got some egg gobs in it. Anyway, 
So that's all just going in the trash. The last stray little breadcrumbs. Stuff is sitting in the sink waiting. Yeah, the one drawback to this whole meal is there's not a lot of downtime to clean things up. Uh, I am going to wipe off the cutting board to clean up the pork juices again. I had gotten it dirty to slice the pork, cleaned it, sliced the potatoes, but then had the pork out again. So, giving that another good wipe down. And man, can I just say, I am so glad that every year we buy a pork, a share, and a pig. Actually, I buy the whole pig and then give shares, sell shares to other friends of mine. Um, really nice farm up in Vermont. Super great people. I've got the cutting board cleaned. Pork cutlets are going to sit and kind of let all their moisture, you know, let themselves combobulate. We're going to make our cucumber salad. Whoa. Which, it's funny, I was like, I haven't made cucumber salad in a long time. I look up a menu on the internet, and then I was like, wait a minute, I have a cookbook that I half wrote with a cucumber salad recipe. It's actually my co-author, Tamara, uh, it's her mom's cucumber salad recipe, and it's in there, it's called Tamara's mom's cucumber salad and in a, the cookbook we wrote about throwing dinner parties that came out in 2009 and obviously no one is throwing dinner parties right now but there's still some good recipes in there what happened to oh my god I'm like why am I not even finding the cucumbers that's because everything all the cucumbers are out in our front room in the quarantine zone because I did all my shopping earlier today. So everything's out in the front room here. So I just let things sit, think about what they've done. Let's see. Oh, got some asparagus. Let's see. Oh, things probably should have gone in the fridge. Usually it's just the dry goods. I Let's sit out in the front room so I don't have to worry about decontaminating everything. Um, oh, there are my, there are my peaks. Okay. Oh, and I need, I need a red onion. A regular onion is fine too. We ran completely out of onions, which was unnerving. Oh, did I buy a red onion? Maybe I didn't. Oh no, I did. I did. That's right. Nice woman at the grocery store just put everything on the same, all the onions together, same weight, same price. That's nice. Save. Whoops. Whoa. So I got a discount red onion that I just dropped on the floor. Oh, poor thing. All right. I'll put some of these other leafy things in the fridge. I got some beets with beet greens. Um, I might 
If you're lucky, might do some other stuff with what I just bought to go on the podcast. Oh yeah, asparagus. Alright. But tonight, we've got our cucumbers, we've got our red onion. You got the accidental tour in front of our house. Um, got your sour cream. Now, you don't have to use sour cream. I just like sour cream. So I bought some today. Which makes me look like I'm licking the, licking the little ceiling, little plastic seal off the top of the container. I'm just licking it. Because, did I mention I like sour cream? Uh, you could use yogurt. Um, I like the, I mean, sour cream is just so rich. And I'm into that. And it lasts a very long time. So you don't have to worry about, about it going bad. And actually, if you're super into cultured, cultured stuff, you can just keep making your own, and if you just take a little bit of your existing sour cream and put it in a whole new thing of fresh cream and leave it out overnight in a clean glass jar, with the lid kind of a jar, you let that sit overnight, and presto, you have your own fresh batch of sour cream. I love those, those little critters. They're so fantastic. So I'm putting, I'm making, just gonna stir up the the dressing for the salad first, just to make sure everything's all smoothly mixed. Um, I'm using like two big tablespoons of um, sour cream, big pinch of salt, and ideally you'd use like Cider vinegar, do we have? I'm looking, 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 looking. I think I said in a previous episode our standard vinegar here is Greek red wine vinegar, top brand, highly recommend. Very cheap, very consistent and good. Um, God, I thought we had a whole thing, whole thing of that. Bragg's apple cider vinegar. I will probably find it after this whole thing is over. Oh, I don't want to give up yet. Can I get in the fridge somehow? Oh, dang. Okay, whenever. We'll just have to use red wine vinegar. It's fine. It's fine. While I've got the fridge open, though, I am thinking to get out out lard for frying. Let's the stuff in the freezer. Uh, that's another side effect of us having the pork share is I end up having a ton of lard, uh, which I'm always trying to foist off on the other people who do the pork share with me, and they're like, no, thanks, we're good. Don't really need any more lard. Thank you. No, thank you. It just feels like my whole year is just me rendering lard. So I just added a couple spoons of vinegar to the sour cream. Using a little 
a little stir. Tasting. I think Tamara's mom's recipe called for a tiny bit of sugar, which is not something I use. Just put that a little tiny pinch. It's amazing how in savory things that call for a little sugar, it really, really just need the tiniest bit. I never think it's gonna make much of a difference, but it sure does. Mm, taste that again. Mm, yeah, that's funny sweet. Putting in some black pepper. Lots. And what else goes in here? Am I looking at my own, at the recipe from my very own cookbook? <sighs> no, oh, a little bit of mustard, I think. And we actually have some, some, we go, oh my God. It's like the Fight Club, Fight Club refrigerator in here. So many mustards. All right. Some pretty, Pretty powerful, burry um, Dutch mustard. Nice. I'm just doing like the little, like half a teaspoon. Um, just to add a little, yeah, add a little burn. Ooh. Okay. I mean, as spicy as mustard gets. But one is always surprised by that. That's your, our echte Zanze mustard. Um, okay, that's good. And we just need to chop up our little, our little piece and a little bit of red onion. We're good to go. So uh, I am Oh, I just washed three cucumbers, but I actually don't want to use that many cucumbers. I was kind of thinking more about filling the bowl than I was thinking about how many cucumbers actual adults eat. And we really only need like a cucumber per person. And we have these little cucumber spears from the other night that got, that need to go in. So I really got like, two and a half cucumbers here. And these cucumber spears are gonna be a totally different size, shape, whatever from the others, but that's fine. That's fine. I know I've talked about the unimportance of consistency in chopping and home cooking before, this is just gonna add like complex texture to our cucumber salad. But I have these, basically have these tiny little triangle bite sizes of cucumber that are going in. Same bowl where I need the dressing. More typically, the salad you slice the slice the cucumbers in very thin rounds, 
and that's what I'm doing with my second cucumber. As I said before, it is funny how just slicing things a different way can make all the difference in how a recipe seems, like whether a dish seems like it succeeded or not, um, when fundamentally it doesn't change the taste that much. But here, you know, very thin slices of cucumber are going to react in the dressing a little bit differently, and you're going to end up with that nice sort of slippery slipperiness as the cucumbers give up a little bit of their juice. Uh, these are very thin. These are I didn't peel these. If you have a if you have a like, standard American. Um, just dropped a piece of cucumber on the floor and rinsed it. Since you can't see me, I probably didn't have to rinse it, but I also know our kitchen floor use a mopping. So uh, the cucumbers I'm using don't need to be peeled. They're the, like the little Persian ones. But if you have if you have like the standard American bigger cucumber, you would want to peel those because. They usually wax those, even if, and the peel is thicker, even if you wanted to eat the peel. It's probably not the greatest. So, uh, I think I'll, this, this little cucumber, this last cucumber I washed is actually pretty tiny. I'm going to go ahead and chop that one up too. What the heck? This, um, the salad keeps too if we end up with too much. That's alright. Cucumbers just get kind of pickly overnight because of the because of the vinegar. So yeah, about the vinegar. It's nice to use cider vinegar for this just because it gives it I mean, to me, since I don't use cider vinegar all that often, it's nice because it makes it more of an atypical salad for me. I'm just used to having red wine vinegar in my standard vinegar or my standard vinaigrette that I make. So I don't want all my salads tasting like that all the time. Um, anyway, all right, then we want a little bit of onion got a red onion here. If you don't have a red onion, which is like a little bit milder, sweeter, um, you could also use shallot. That would be nice if you happen to have that. Um, you could use plain yellow onion also. And in that case, I would say you would want to slice it and then just let the slices soak in a little water for a little while just to take some of the sharpness out. Um, and you just want like very, very, very thin rings. This is a very big onion, so I'm only gonna, you know, barely making a dent in it and just slicing some very thin slices off the top and kind of treating it like salami. I'm gonna going to peel the papery outer peel off once I've, 
once I've done the slicing. Oops, that wasn't a paper thin slice. Brilliant. It's all right. Oh, in fact, the outer, the outer layer of onion skin just sort of fell off on its own. Solve that problem. So I've got these very thin rings, and I'm gonna cut these up in smaller pieces, like kind of stack them all up, and I'm gonna cut them into, I don't know, quarters, like kind of thin bits. You don't want you don't want chunks. Oops, picking little bits of onion skin out. Maybe that wasn't the most efficient. Alright, the nice thing about red onion is just the color is great. It adds a little, a little extra. And the last thing we're going to do, the last thing we're going to do, now that we've stirred that in, is a little bit of dill. Where did I put it? Oh, it's already out. Great, 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 great. And we have it washed already. Usually when I buy a bunch of herbs at the store, the first time I use them, I'll just wash the whole bunch and then wrap it up in paper towel so that the next time I need it, it's very easy. So for dill, I just you know, start chopping bits off the top and keep going. Um, maybe went a little heavy-handed on the bill here. Uh, it's all right. I've got like a big handful of fresh dill. You could use um, you can use dried dill too for this. Totally fine because it's in this dressing, and if you let it sit a little while, then the dill kind of rehydrates and it's perfectly delicious. You can also make this, it is not typically German at all, but um, it, it makes a very nice combination to use dried mint or fresh mint. I like dried mint um, in here as well, or instead of the dill. Like I said, not, as far as I know, a German thing at all, but basically any kind of, any kind of, Mint and tangy dairy is a winning combination in my mind. Mm. I'm just checking that for for flavor. I think what I want to do is thin this out a tiny bit. I happen to have just like the smidge of the end of my thing of half and half that I just dumped in here. Because you want a little bit of a loose dressing. You could use um, you could use just regular milk to thin this out. There's probably something would have been better to do back when I was mixing the dressing on its own. This needs more salt, I realize. So I'm gonna let that all sit, and right before I eat, I will check the seasoning again because stuff with salt and vinegar and sugar and all this, you know, can really, really change. 
as it sits and surprisingly quickly. So we'll, we'll consider this 95% done. Hmm, I'm good. I could actually use a little more sugar. Anyway, I'll do that at the end. Um, our potatoes are super done. I'm gonna turn the heat off on them. And just leave them in the back there. And now I'm gonna fire up the heat for our noble, our noble um, cutlets. And I think in a breach of a breach of cooking in real time policy, I'm actually gonna turn off the recording while I fry these because that is gonna be incredibly boring to listen to. And I need to turn on the um, exhaust hood and it's gonna be loud. You know, and I'll have to shout over it and nobody's gonna to wanna to listen to that. So I'll just tell you what I'm doing to set up. So I happen to have lard, like I said, so much lard. And every time I use lard, I think of Rick Bayless, how, bless him, in every single cookbook he's ever written, he's like on a one-man crusade to rehabilitate the image of lard. So lard got a bad name. I think because basically Crisco was invented as a replacement for lard and used as a replacement for leaf lard, I should say specifically. Leaf lard is the lard that I, like the fat, and I think it's on top of the kidneys on the pig and it has no flavor. Um, it does not have a, a meaty flavor at all. And it's what um, like, you put it in pie crusts to make them flaky. You put it in biscuits to make them flaky. Um, basically, they invented Crisco to replace all that because there's not a lot of leaf lard in a pig. And um, then Crisco got started being used in every damn thing or, you know, hydrogenated fat in general uh, started getting used in everything. and. And growing up, people would say, like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, lard in Oreos, which maybe there used to be, but what they meant was Crisco. So there was this weird, weird sloppiness of terminology. And poor lard got this recipe, got this reputation as something gross, when, in fact, it is a beautiful substance but, look at it. Oh, look at it. Melting mm. gorgeously. And bakers love Crisco. Anyway. Um, where was I? In praise of lard. Uh, it has, It's much lower in saturated fat than, than butter, I think. Like, lard somehow stands out as, like, the pinnacle of terrible things for you, but it's just not. Look it up. Trust me. Trust Rick Bayless. Every time I use lard, I imagine him popping up and being like, Did you know... Fun facts about lard. So whenever I pull the lard out, I'm like, well, Rick, thanks for joining us. I'm melting. You're not deep frying these guys. You're just sort of pan frying them. I guess you could deep fry them if you have that kind of lard to spare. And actually, I kind of do, but it's also a hassle to deal with that much, to deal with that much fat. So... 
but I will add a little bit more to this pot. I have a big, a big Dutch oven that I'm using because it has high sides, and that's gonna save some spattering. But you could also use any kind of heavy skillet. Whatever, yeah, cast iron is great here, and especially if you have cast iron that has, you know, been through the ringer and isn't in great shape, frying stuff in your cast iron is a great way to get your cast iron back in fighting form. So I am adding, because we have so much lard, really that's been my, been one of my little quarantine projects, is just rendering all the lard we have in the freezer downstairs. So, we're melting all that. And I'm gonna go ahead, and what do I need to tell you about frying? That you, any tips? Make sure your oil is hot, but not too hot. All kinds of, for some reason, it got in the head of so many cookbooks that fry oil should be 365 degrees, which is way too hot. Uh, I usually keep mine, look at me getting out my thermometer as though I use it all the time. Um, I don't know. I usually put mine at like under 350. I really only have about a quarter inch of fat here in my, in my pan. I'm adding a little bit more. All right, because I have it, because I have it, there it is. All right, I'm gonna turn this off. All you need to know about frying is try to keep your heat pretty steady. As I said, it doesn't need to be 365 degrees. 350 is good, could even be a little bit lower. To check whether it's ready, you can like drop a little bread cube in there and if it starts sizzling, you're good to go. Yeah, you've got little bubbles going. I'm about ready to go here. Uh, don't crowd the pan. When you put a, a piece in, in to fry, it brings the temperature way down. So you wanna, you know, wait for the temperature to come back up before you add more. So you're gonna be, you know, adjusting the flame a bit and keeping an eye on things. But it's a process. You wanna be taking your little cutlets out of the oil and putting them back on the little rack to drip dry kind of to let the oil come off or you can put them on a platter with paper towels we're kind of short on paper towels these days and um what else uh since the meat is really thin it will cook quickly like by the time things are nice and golden brown you don't have to worry about the meat if you've pounded the meat enough you don't have to worry about it so that's easy, and I should stop talking and start frying, and I'll be back with you momentarily. Okay, friends, back from the whole adventure of frying. That noise is why, yeah. That noise is why I was not recording while I was frying. Anyway, things I learned while I was frying things I reminded my, myself of that you might benefit from knowing as well. I talked a lot about lard, raving insanely about lard. 
normal people fry in vegetable oil, and that is totally fine. Just use what you have. There's a whole school of thought about how you shouldn't fry with olive oil because it has a low smoke point. Greeks fry with olive oil all the time, and everything turns out fine. Um, so you can even use olive oil, although don't use your most expensive stuff because that just does seem like a waste, but you do want to keep the temperature a little bit lower if you happen to be using olive oil. You do want to try to avoid letting your oil smoke because it's like breaking down and doing stuff that's bad for you. Let's see what else happened while I was frying. I said before, be careful of crowding the pan and um, letting the temperature drop too much. With these thin little things, and since you're not deep frying, since you're just sort of shallow frying, the issue is actually don't let the grease get too hot. So if you're taking one little cutlet out, you want to be ready with the next one to slide that into its slot because any sort of exposed oil is going to heat up much more quickly. In general, I kept the, kept the burner at like medium. It was at medium high just to get it warmed up, but then I kept it pretty steadily at medium and kind of controlled the heat by making sure there was always, you know, a full allotment of little cutlets in there frying. And then in the last one, I did turn down the heat because it was the only thing left in the oil, only the last one. So uh, now we have these lovely golden brown beauties. I'm sprinkling a little bit more salt on them. And uh, they're pretty good. Oh, the other thing to know while you're frying is don't fuss, don't fuss. Like frying feels very intense and like a dangerous thing that you should be hyper vigilant of, which you should be very careful and keep an eye on it. But if you stand there over it being like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? You're just gonna like slow things down and upset it and you don't wanna flip things over too soon. Ideally you wanna like fry one side, fry the other and take it out and it's done. Somehow flipping things back over to the first side to like round them up more just never works out quite as well. And I don't know why that is. So you wanna be like, let things brown to the point they need to be and then flip them over. And to do that, you need to distract yourself a little bit or you're going to be like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? So I used that time to put some dishes in the dishwasher. And because it's right here, it's pretty close to the stove. Not too risky to turn my back. I also used that time to mix a few tablespoons of butter in with my potatoes. I'm not going to mash them. They got really boiled. So just stirring in the butter kind of gooped them up a little bit. I think I'm going to make Peter run up to the roof and pick some parsley and maybe we'll just sprinkle some parsley and call that done. We got our salad, our our cucumber salad. And I another thing I did to distract myself while I was frying was tasted that again. And I added, and I'm tasting it again now, and I added a little bit more sugar because it does make it oops, makes it its own thing and not my normal salad. And I also got out a lemon and I think I'm just going to squeeze a little lemon in there. It just makes everything taste a little fresher. I mean, vinegar is fine. Definitely has its place, but the lemon is very good squeezed on the cutlets too, on the schnitzel. So I'm happy to cut open, cut open a lemon for that anyway. And then we can just put a little on the cucumber. So that's about it. Things are ready. I think we're going to eat after Peter goes and gets some parsley for the potatoes. 
and um, all the usual stuff. I'm going to put all the recipes on the recipes. Boiled potatoes in water with butter. I'm going to put the recipes on the website, cookinginrealtime.com, with some, I can tell you right now, they're going to be uninspiring photographs, as usual. But they'll be there. Feel free to get in touch with questions, requests, uh, complaints, anything. Exactly. Um, If you have a complaint, it really should be done in that tone of voice, preferably. You know, if you're going to complain, go all in. So we better hurry and defend the cutlets. Peter's already chomping on them. And I think Mm. that's all you need to know. I have a few more things in the hopper. I know I mentioned quiche. It was crazy. Not crazy. That's overstating things. The the stars did not align. Um, That's not what I ended up having in the fridge tonight. So that's not what I cooked. Which is, you know, just another lesson in planning. So, again, if you have requests or questions, drop me an email or find me on Twitter and check out the website, Cooking in Real Time. And enjoy your dinner, and I'll talk to you again next week.